Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This is Brian Lehrer's Daily Politics Podcast from WNYC Studios. It's Thursday, August 11th. I'm Arun Vanagopal from the WNYC Newsroom, filling in for Brian Lehrer, who's off today. We'll recap last night's congressional debate for New York 10 and listen to some clips from it. New York 10 was redrawn after the fraught redistricting process earlier this year. And it's rather gnarly. The district stretches from the West Village across to the East Village and then goes down to Brooklyn Heights, Red Hook, Park Slope, Sunset Park, Borough Park. Last night's debate was only open to the six leading candidates in this rather crowded field. And moderators Errol Lewis and Bridget Bergen covered a whole lot of ground. So... Let's get into it with WNYC and Gotham's own Bridget Bergen, senior political correspondent. Hi, Bridget. Great to have you with us. It's so great to be here with you in studio, Arun. That's right. So, Bridget, what is so special about this race? So, Arun, this is an open seat, which is a very rare thing in New York politics. Because of this redistricting process, there's no incumbent. And so you have this field of really strong candidates. As you said, this debate last night was the six leading contenders. There are actually 13 candidates on the entire ballot. But these candidates who were on the stage tonight excuse me, on the stage last night, were all candidates who either were previous elected office holders or had raised $500,000. So really showed that they had strong support within the community. Um, And they used every opportunity they could last night to, I think, really make their closing arguments to voters. Well, we're going to have some clips, lots of clips, but let's talk about the candidates and sort of how they stand out or are trying to stand out. You have Mondaire Jones. He is an incumbent, albeit in another district that was affected when the maps were redrawn. You have Yulene New. Uh, she's in the state assembly, as is Joanne Simon. Uh, Carlina Rivera is a current city council member. Elizabeth Holtzman, she last held elected office in 1993. Uh, and then you have Daniel Goldman, a would-be first-time politician. So some listeners may need an introduction. Can you give it to them? So another thing to note about this district is it's an incredibly left-leaning liberal district. This primary is going to ultimately decide who becomes the next congressional representative for the newly drawn 10th district. Um, it also has incredibly high voter turnout. It has among the highest turnout precinct precincts in the city. Hmm. And so that field that you just described, you know, is a field of people who bring a lot of experience, expertise, some of it more local in terms of the people who have been state and city elected officials, and then some more on the federal level. Um, I think sort of the way I would distinguish among within that group itself, you have city council member Carlina Rivera, assembly member Yulene New, um, and assembly member Joanne Simon, who really bring some pretty deep policy expertise when it comes to issues within the district that have really dealt with the nitty gritty issues of the district. And then 
on the federal level, you have uh, Elizabeth Holtzman, who served as a member of Congress, as the Brooklyn district attorney and as the city controller, um, but who hasn't been in office in several decades by, you know, as she has said. Uh, the Democratic impeachment attorney, Dan Goldman, um, someone who is also probably familiar to people who uh Watch a lot of MSNBC because he mm-hmm. spent a lot of time. He's spent a lot of time as a contributor to MSNBC, and then, as you mentioned, Congressman Mondaire Jones, who had previously represented and currently represents the 17th congressional district, which is up in the Hudson Valley, Rockland, and Westchester, and because of redistricting, was poised to face uh, Sean Patrick Maloney, who is another incumbent from the Hudson Valley and, you know, by the way, head of the DCCC, so a very influential incumbent. And instead of facing off against the head of the DCCC, uh, Congressman Jones made the decision to move down to this open seat, uh, is now a resident of Carroll Gardens, as he noted last night. And just to be clear, for people who don't know what the DCCC is... Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. That's right. So someone who has access to... Someone who's really responsible for trying to get Democrats elected to Congress across the country and to direct funding to help them to do that. So let's get into uh, the the night itself, uh, the debate. I mean, what did we hear, if anything, about how they're presenting themselves, how they're trying to stand out um, on the stage where you're really kind of relying on, you know, you know, punchy uh, moments to hopefully, you know, separate yourself from the pack? You know, I think this is a field that on a lot of the big issues is is generally on the same end of the spectrum, um, where you start to hear some some nuance and some difference is when you start to get into you know the particulars. So there was a discussion on issues related to crime and bail reform and how the candidates would view what is driving the increase in crime. Uh, we heard from the more left-leaning progressive candidates, Assemblymember Yulene Assembly New, Congressman Mondaire Jones, that to combat this increase in crime, you really need to invest in social services. Um, on the other end of that, you heard from former District Attorney Elizabeth Holtzman and also um, impe- former impeachment attorney Daniel Goldman, this idea that potentially we do need to reconsider uh, some of the bail reforms that were made and and reevaluate how to uh, administer justice. Goldman specifically talked about recidivism. um, And yet, I felt like Holtzman tried to kind of walk a fine line. She even invoked, not by name, the story of Khalif Browder, someone who was held on Rikers Island and ultimately then killed himself. And it was all over an alleged knapsack, knapsack that had been stolen. So, you know, there was some daylight there. Uh, I think also, you started to see the candidates take shots at each other where they saw that there was an opportunity. And certainly Goldman was the recipient of a lot of that when it came to some of uh, his finances. Yeah. So let's talk a little more about that. Certainly something that, that as you said, has has made him uh, a target for other people who um, are trying to make light of his, uh, I guess, of his wealth. Yeah. So, I mean, here's an individual um, who has a track record as a federal prosecutor, um, you know, certainly has has served in a, a as a public servant in that capacity, um, but who comes from a family of wealth, um, is heir to the Levi Strauss fortune, uh, recently 
loaned his own campaign about a million dollars. And his his personal investments became something of a punching bag for a lot of the candidates on the stage because they included investments in companies that include Fox News and gun manufacturers. And that was something that, you know, he shot back that because some of these other candidates also have investments in portfolios, they too have investments in some of these companies. But the scale of what we're talking about is obviously much different because he is a much wealthier individual. One of the first issue-based questions of the night was on the subject of immigration, something that's playing out right before our eyes, given that Texas Governor Greg Abbott's recent political ploy is to you know, send refugees, uh, asylum seekers rather, on buses um, to New York City. Tell me about the responses from this field and what stood out. Well, you know, I think, again, this is a field of candidates who, by and large, are sympathetic to people who are seeking asylum, to, uh, you know, who believe that New York and the U.S. is a place where immigrants should feel welcome and should come. Um, but you did start to hear some differences in terms of um, someone like Yuli New, Assemblymember Yuli New, for example, who probably went the furthest to talk about you know, the way the U.S. should be approaching immigration in general. Um, and I think uh, we have a little... Yeah, yeah, let's listen to what she said. I think that the elimination of ICE would be uh, the best way to go because we this is a... Um, this is an atrocity right now that how we are hurting and harming people. I think that you know one of the biggest things that we were able to do on the state level um, is to keep ICE out of courthouses, make sure that we have the DREAM Act and the Green Light Bill. And how, how do you think this plays in this district? I mean, obviously, you said it's a, a very left-leaning district. Still, abolishing ICE is something that not every person on the left will necessarily own. I think this was part of how Assemblymember New was really you know, among the ways she was trying to define herself as the leading progressive candidate in this race. She's been endorsed by the Working Families Party. Um, And I think she wanted to make clear that this goes beyond simply the political optics and, you know, the tug of war that's going on now between Governor Abbott and Mayor Adams, you know, trading barbs over, you know, literally playing with people's lives and, and you know, moving them around as though they're chess pieces on a board uh, and really trying to draw a line in the sand that the U.S. needs to approach the way we are taking care of people in this country in a different way. Uh, And so you're right that I think there are some people who would potentially object. There are other things that ICE does, you know, beyond simply what we see in terms of, you know, pursuing raids, et cetera. But I think it was part of her making very clear, you know, she also identified herself as the only, um, she was the only immigrant on the stage. She was, uh, her family's from Taiwan. So um, I think that that was, I think that conversation and, and certainly, you know, given how much that is in the news right now in the city was a really important place to start. Did anybody push back to what she's saying about ICE? There was not, I don't think anyone picked up on that explicitly. There was some discussion about, you know, what, who should bear the responsibility, the financial responsibility for 
the services that these individuals who, you know, have fled a dangerous situation in their country will inevitably need. Um, And former Congressman Liz Holtzman raised the fact that, you know, when she was in Congress, that one of her accomplishments was establishing um, legislation that allowed for refugees to enter this country and that the funding should follow them. Um, You know, I think there's still this conversation you know, still has the overt politics of what is happening in Texas, the fact that Governor Abbott is someone else who is running for re-election right now, um, and this kind of political football that is being tossed back and forth with Mayor Adams and Governor Abbott. Um, and that is something else the candidates were asked to weigh in on, specifically a question that Mayor Adams sort of, or a, a rhetorical statement really, that I think Mayor Adams tossed out about this idea that uh he was considering sending a bus of people to go to Texas yeah. to campaign against Governor Abbott. And so the candidates were asked, you know, would you would you be on that bus? Um, and all of them said yes. Um, <laughs> I thought Assembly <laughs> Member Joe and Simon said it with um, a little the most tongue in cheek was, you know, as long as he's paying for the bus fare. Um, but this idea that, you know, collectively, this is a group of candidates that wants to push back on what we are seeing coming from Texas, um, I think was was clear across the board. I think it was Errol, who Errol, um, your your co-moderator, who asked each candidate how they believe people in power should proceed with respect to holding Donald Trump accountable, uh, whether for the sake of national new- unity, um, you know, he might be pardoned like like Nixon was. They all pretty much said no, and then Mondaire Jones added this. Let's listen. The Republican Party has had a real problem, a real uh, crisis or or bent towards anti-democracy and fascism long before Donald Trump became the president of the United States. And I think this is an area that distinguishes me from Mr. Goldman because he seems to believe that Donald Trump is the cause of all of our problems. I mean, the the Republican Party was doing voter suppression uh, and, and trying not to certify different elections long before the election of Donald J. Trump. Now, Bridget Mondaire Jones pointed to some of the more systemic issues within the Republican Party. Did that generate any sort of response? So I thought what was what the candidates were trying to do in that conversation was to sort of distinguish their views of the Republican Party. Everyone thinks that there are problems with the Republican Party. Obviously, this is a Democratic primary debate. But when you hear someone like Congresswoman, former Congresswoman Liz Holtzman, describe her position on that. You know, she is talking about her role in the Nixon impeachment. And she was asked to reflect on this idea of, you know, we are such a deeply divided country now. How do we start to knit ourselves back together? And part of what she said that was that in the wake of that, of, of Watergate and, and then, and, you know, her time in office, that the country kind of coalesced around this idea that there was something wrong, that you didn't knit the country, need to knit the country back together because there were Republican lawmakers who were ready to go to the president and say, you know, if you don't step down, we're going to impeach you. They held him accountable. They held him accountable. And by contrast, uh, you know, I think Goldman was trying to make the point that the Trump, the Republican Party that is led by former President Trump is a much, much different party, that we are seeing tactics that are being deployed, whether it's misinformation, um, you know, 
in an insurrection on January 6th that just were are things that are that we have not seen historically up to this point. And I think the distinction that you heard Congressman Jones try to make in that clip you just played is yes, but, you know, but there have been efforts to suppress votes long before the Trump White House took effect. And and, and I think it's kind of a reminder of the issues that particularly voters of color have at the forefront of their mind when it comes to you know, voting rights and and ballot access. And those are issues that we do see play out across the country. Certainly, we've seen states enact more restrictive voting laws across the country. And those are not only during the period of the Trump administration. Uh, Speaking of Holtzman, uh, one of the things the debate didn't get into, you know, I mean, she, she has this to say about women's issues. Let's let's listen to her right now. But I want to say that by this time in the debate, we should be on women's issues, too. I haven't heard a single abortion rights are under threat from this country. And we need to be discussing that here in the debate. So she said she had a 10 point plan that she wanted to discuss. I mean, is that something that you think has been sort of prominent in this campaign? So certainly we know that this is a summer where the decisions emanating from the U.S. Supreme Court um, have just positively monumental impact on the lives of U.S. citizens and likely uh, may influence how people are thinking about elections. Um, In this Democratic primary in one of the most liberal districts in New York, there isn't a ton of daylight among the candidates on these issues. And they have, in the many, many forums these candidates have attended, have talked a lot about about some of these issues. And so part of what we were trying to do in the debate last night was to tease out some of the issues that we haven't heard these candidates talk about, um, that we don't know actually where they stand, and that do impact the lives of people in this district. Um, You know, take an issue, congestion pricing. Um, It is not a federal issue. However, it will have an impact on constituents and constituents will inevitably turn to some of their federal representatives to seek some perspective. And, you know, there can be additional impacts beyond just the cost of something, public health impacts, et cetera. And so, you know, I think uh, Holtzman raised a totally valid issue. Um, and one of the things, you know, having moderated a debate just a week ago, uh, several of the members of Congress were um, apt to do was to pivot and just talk about the issue that they wanted to talk about, sure. um, which is something that, you know, we have heard many politicians do before. Um, so I, I guess, you know, there was an opportunity. There was also an opportunity during the cross-examination to sort of frame a conversation how you wanted to. Um, so I think that there there were opportunities to inject that. Um, and there was a reason why we didn't go there, because we wanted to get to some of the the new topics. We've got a call from Joe in Park Slope, Brooklyn. Joe, there's one issue in particular that you are really concerned about. What is it? Yes. Uh, Hi. Thank you so much. It is women's health rights. I think that District 10, I've seen my neighbors, just everyone come out, march over the Brooklyn Bridge to talk about how they're really concerned about what is happening in the wake of Roe v. Wade being overturned. And it was just shocking for me and my my friends that 
if there was more of a discussion on alternate side of the street parking than an issue that has mobilized us to come out of our homes. And we just need more leadership at the federal level representing us to figure this out. I don't know if there's a way or a forum to kind of revisit that with with the candidates. Uh, Joe, is there a candidate that you think, uh, you know, basically does represent you in this in on this front? Well, what, just what Bridget said before, I mean, the only person who even mentioned it in the debate last night was Liz Holtzman. And I know she has in the past been, you know, very, very vocal and a true leader in women's rights. But I would just love to know, you know, what do people plan to do? Because this is such a concerning issue among so many people in the district. And and so thank you so much for your call, Joe. Uh Bridget, is there any way to know whether abortion rights and what happened, you know, since uh, Supreme Court um, struck Roe v. Wade down? Do you get the impression, I don't know if there's any data on this, that this is driving people like Joe to the polls or will? I mean, I think we've seen in terms of, you know, where voters have turned out nationally, that that this is a galvanizing issue. You can look at you know the referendum in Texas, excuse me, Kansas from last week that would have potentially um, put re- restricted abortion access, um, and voters said no. Uh, you know we do not want to see you put this restriction in. Uh, so I think that w- there is a signal that this will be likely a galvanizing issue. Um, what becomes I think I think it is a vital conversation and something that is, you know, absolutely worth uh, talking about and holding candidates accountable on. I think in a general election context where it it is clearer that there is uh, what candidates stand in opposition to each other, that is one of the ways that um, you know we'll start to see a little bit more daylight. But I think in 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 this particular primary field, I don't think any of the candidates who we saw would be candidates who would not be fighting to restore a woman's right to choose. No real surprises expected on that front. Uh, we're going to squeeze in one less, one more clip um, on the issue of crime, which you raised earlier in the conversation, and the issue of bail. Lots of different responses. I want to listen to Joanne Simons right now. And I think it is critically important that we um, uh, look beyond the rhetoric, uh, which has been uh, unfortunately um, uh, uh, parroting the right wing uh, when it comes to what we did with bail. We're going to leave it there. Anything to add, Bridget? I know you've got to go. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that this debate was different than the previous debate. Obviously, we had double the number of candidates, but you also heard um, the depth of uh, both local policy expertise, national interests, um, and the fact that this is still a very wide open race, um, that these are, we we couldn't walk away and say, it's clear that so-and-so is the absolute front runner at this point. And so it'll be a really fascinating two weeks. Early voting comes, uh, starts on Saturday, this coming Saturday, August 13th. Uh, so Hopefully some people will make up their mind before then, but you don't have to until August 23rd. So uh, good luck and can't wait to see how it turns out. My guest has been WNYC's senior political correspondent and a co-moderator for last night's debate, Bridget Bergen. And as she just said, primary election that we've been discussing. 
Star, uh, that's August 23rd, and early voting starts on the 13th of August. Bridget, thanks so much for joining us and for all your inf- uh, information and analysis. Thank you, Arun. Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.